This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. When she first opened Afroware Books back in the early 90s, Nzinga Nomo says she filled the store with the books that meant something to her, titles that were culturally relevant to the Black experience and books that changed her life. Now, after 30 years, the bookshop in West Suburban Maywood has closed, but it will be opening up a new chapter. We'll get to that in a few minutes. And joining us now in studio is Nzinga Nomo, owner of Afterware Books. Welcome to Reset. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. So good to see you. So t- take us back. Tell us about Afterware and what made you first want to open up this bookstore. Oh my gosh, this was not my plan <laughs> at all. I My background is in electrical engineering and I was in corporate America and joined a group of uh, black men who were reading black books by black authors. And first I was like, what? You all like to read? Because I did not. I went into the field because I did not have to read, is what I was told. But after reading um, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison, Mm -hmm. Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson, my whole life was turned upside down. I felt like I had been cheated out of my history. Um, I just had a new understanding of how our culture was basically being hijacked and we were the last to know of our greatness, our historical significance, our attributes to society. And because of that, I decided to quit. (laughs) It changed my life to that point. I quit corporate America. I quit that high paying job and decided that this best kept secret needed to be exposed to the public. And I wanted to be a part of that. Describe for us what joy the store has brought you. Oh, my goodness. On a daily basis, witnessing the transformation that people go through when they are connected with accurate images and information about our culture. It gives me goose pimples every time I reflect upon it because that's what happened with me. And I really just wanted to be able to duplicate that experience for others. I wanted to witness it. I wanted to share it. I basically couldn't get enough of it. So yeah. uh, it's just been an honor. And that's what you wanted for folks as they walked into your bookstore. You wanted them to Absolutely. feel that same feeling. Yes. You were up against chain stores like Barnes & Noble and, uh, of course, Amazon. That's like David versus Goliath. Yes, yes. (laughs) What do you think the Goliaths don't have that the little Davids do? The little Davids have such an intimate connection to community. Um, Just yesterday, you know, we, we have our GoFundMe up. And an elder called me on the phone and she's like, are you closed yet? Are you closed yet? Can I stop by? I was like, sure, come on by. And as soon as she opened her door, I met her at the door. She said, here's a donation. And I said, oh, my gosh. She said, I believe in you. And these are the everyday, you know, people that have held us up through these 30 years. And now we're pivoting to um, to focus more on the institutions in the community. Yeah. And that, I believe, is going to be um, what sustains us into the future. Yeah, because as, as I teased earlier, Afterware isn't going away entirely. Correct. Right? We're going to be online. 
You're going to be online. Be so this online. is a new chapter. It's like hybrid model, I'll call it, because yes, we will be online and we're going to do pop-ups weekly, um, excuse me, monthly yes. um, from an Oak Park location called Cross Function. Okay. And now we're going to add a couple more voices to the conversation. So here with us in studio is Alex Breland, founder of the Visible Man Review. That's a book club for black men here in Chicago. Hey, Alex, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Sasha. And also joining us is priestess Stephanie Rose Bird. She's a Chicago author who writes about and practices hoodoo. That's an earth-based spiritual tradition. And her forthcoming book is titled Motherland Herbal, the story of African holistic health. Welcome to Reset, Stephanie. Thank you. So your books, they can be found on Afroware's shelves, which is pretty awesome. But I understand that you were also a longtime customer of the store. Oh, yes. And you brought your kids there. I did. So, yeah, I <laughs> What's do. What's the space meant for you? I have some really exciting things to share. I have quotes from three of my children out of four. Um, I also want to share um, my thoughts about um, Afroware. Because it's more than a store. It's never been a store. It's a reservoir of African-American culture that's carefully cultivated and curated by a black wise woman, Nzinga Nomo, a person I deeply admire. Nzinga is a major influence on my work and professional supporter of my career as a writer from the very beginning of its incubation. And I do, I distinctly remember taking my babies and their strollers to everywhere to expose them to their culture through books. Wow. In now, the strollers. Oh, yeah. So you and started early. I did. And, you know, what's interesting is now, so now my youngest is a software developer. He learned to play djembe in elementary school at everywhere. Olivia is an actress and stunt woman. Uh, Liam is the manager of equity and organizational performance for the city of Evanston, and Colin is a consultant for S&P Global. And here's what they have to say about the store. Okay. Um, so this is from Colin, the oldest. Everywhere, a true gem among bookstores, is a sanctuary of knowledge and culture that has deeply impacted my life. Beyond its remarkable selection of African-centered titles, it's a vibrant Black-owned space where I've discovered not only books, but also the rich tapestry of Black culture through products like shea butter. This haven not only enriched my growth, but also provided a rare opportunity to explore my mother's literary interest within a community dominated by resilient Black women, a stark contrast to my predominantly white surroundings. Mm. Everywhere is an irreplaceable treasure trove of wisdom culture and connection um and so yeah this is the baby i mean you're blushing (laughs) it's really like difficult for me to choke back the tears when i just think about everywhere physically closing i want to share what my daughter olivia has to say i remember walking into everywhere as a young girl and my eyes widening as i saw so many books and photos of people like me most bookstores had designated sections for people like us, but this store was for us and by us. Mm-hmm. I used to get the flavored sticks at the register so I could read the new books my mom brought me while chewing grape and strawberry flavored wood, bringing, back, bringing me back to my roots. That's yeah. Olivia. And then finally, my son Liam says, 
Everywhere is important to my racial and social identity development growing up in Oak Park and ultimately deepened my Afrocentricity and fostered my beliefs in racial and social justice and my work in equity in the Chicagoland area. I am currently manager of organizational performance and equity at the city of Evanston. I used to buy audio recordings and books with my allowance to go to everywhere on civil rights speakers like Malcolm X and Stokely Carmichael, and I would listen to the speeches over and over again. Wow. I remember seeing my mother give various lectures and demonstrations from herbal remedies to African-American spirituality and culture, and these are some of my most formulative cultural experiences. Everywhere also supported our family in deepening our commitment to Kwanzaa. These are such great compliments, <laughs> oh, Alex. I, I want to bring you in here. I mean, Absolutely. as we as we Thank you know quote yeah, yeah. about Everywhere. I mean, you you've talked about how it's it's hard to choose just one book when you read so many, right? With your your book club, I know that there's a that's a feeling that a lot of readers share. So, what do you feel like in general reading teaches us? Well, reading is a healthy activity like exercising. It's something you, you live with and you should do regularly. And uh, when I was asked the question of what's my favorite book, um, my thought was like, that's choosing between your favorites of your, of your kids, you know? Um, <laughs> I and, know. It was a tough mm-hmm. one for me, too, as mm-hmm. I was getting ready to talk with you all. I was like, well, what's mine? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I literally had to sit with myself and think about it. Yeah. But press, I mean, press the uh, given answer, I certainly can. But the thought is, all the books I read, um, I live with them. And they impact me at different uh, in different ways at different points in my life. And uh, one of the reasons I was super excited to join this panel today is because um, our book club had a great opportunity to partner up with Afroware Books back in April. So when I saw her name on the invite, I was like, absolutely, uh, we should be out here to uh, extol the joys of reading, celebrate the book club, but uh, celebrate the great work that Nzinga has been doing for years. Absolutely. Why don't we jump to the phones because we have some Chicagoans who want to join our conversation. First up is James in Washington Heights. Hey, James, welcome to Reset. Hello, hello. Hello, what are you reading? Uh, I would say um, Carter G. Woodson's uh, Miseducation of the Negro. Probably my uh, best book or favorite book, most influential. Yeah, why do you say that? Uh, Well, um, I I think it just went right to the point of what African Americans need to do, which is to uh, embrace their culture, uh, their history, uh, not other people's. uh, history or culture, particularly not their oppressors. So uh, Woodson really, uh, you know, being the uh, founder of Black History Month, uh, really just his whole book just, you know, went right to that point. Yeah. Well, that's the second mention of the miseducation of a, of a Negro since we started <laughs> our conversation, James. Thanks for calling. Uh, let's jump to Todd, who's in Western Springs. Hey, Todd, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. What's um, your What's your yeah, book? My- my book, um, first I should preface this with, uh, I am a white middle-aged man from the suburbs. Okay. Um, but I, um, my, it's the autobiography of Malcolm X. Oh, yeah. Um, Why? It's, it's several reasons. I mean, first off, I started reading the book because well, I want to educate myself. It's, it creates empathy for one thing. Um, also, I mean, in the beginning of the book, when you're, I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, this man hates me. Mm. He really, really hates me. And I understand why, because of the way he was expressing where that hatred came from. As the book went on, I think part of the genius of the book and the way that it was structured 
by Alex Haley is um, he did it in sort of chronological as if you were sitting in the room speaking with the man. And he's talking, he's telling his story, and then he goes to Mecca. And he comes back a changed man. And with a different viewpoint, I feel like that kind of reflects the reader's journey as well. If it's yeah. If this is not your if this is not your story, when you're reading this book, when you're done with it, you come back a changed person as well. Yeah, I love that you shared that, Todd. Thank you so much for calling, Inzinga. You're you're nodding. Well, Does when he said empathy, resonate, um, well, absolutely. That was another transformative book that um, many people point to over the years, and it's one of our best sellers. But the empathy that he mentioned that it pulled out in him is really why everywhere. Um, exists. We want to build intellectually vibrant communities by providing access to culturally enriching literature just like this because if you're able to even through your imagination walk in somebody else's shoes you will be you will be changed. Hmm. You could be changed. Now Alex I I threatened you during the break. (laughs) I'm going to make you choose that one book that you would say transformed you? And, and tell us how so. Sure. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Two Trains Running by August Wilson. Oh, that's a good and one. And I'm going to emphasize August Wilson generally, so I'm still going to push back on selecting just one, but he's got a century cycle. And I live with the century cycle. I may revisit it once a year um, because I find it that, that enjoyable. And there's so many characters throughout um, the series who I can point to and I go, oh, I know someone like that. Like uh, personally, Gem of the Ocean, right, with Onesto, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, lives for hundreds of years and is the staple of the community who people go to for advice in advance. That makes me think of my great grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, Julia Hagens, who lived to be 106. And, you know, I grew up as a kid and as an adult going over there to sit on a couch and gain wisdom and take my kids over there. But I picked two trains running particularly because, um, one, the language that August Wilson uses is just so flavorful and so reminiscent of what it means to, like, be in my community and growing up and what I think of as, like, being cool. So he just does a great job of capturing language and conveying uh, everyday dialogue in a wonderful way. And then I also think the book takes place at a pivotal point in uh, history that's um, important for us in this moment, right? So the book takes place in 1969, and we've seen Brown and the Civil Rights Act, and it's this inflection point of what's it really mean for the U.S. to be a full democracy that embraces the wide range of diversity that it actually has. Mm -hmm. And it is that point when people actually have uh, full equality, and let's put that in, in quotation marks. And so I love the discussion that he has with his characters at that point in America. I love that book too, and and every uh, adapt every play stage adaption that's been done. Absolutely, <laughs> paying uh, homage to that. What about you, Stephanie? Is there a book or a series that that you you would say made you? Yes, two, two of them. Okay, <laughs> yes. uh, there's a particular book. I've been debating whether to talk about it or just this one particular author that I um, just he propelled me into being who I am as an author and so forth and practitioner. But first, I'd like to mention Flash of the Spirit by Robert Ferris Thompson. Mm. And um, it is, I have a background, I was an art professor at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and painting and drawing for a while. And um, my background is as a painter. So I gravitated toward the book in that respect because it has a lot of, um, it's filled with African sculptures and masks and um, personal objects, uh, power objects, and so forth. And I think that 
prior to that book, I looked upon them as beautiful objects. And then um, once I delved into it, I was like, oh, my gosh, these are like vessels to they are portals to another world. They are incredible, um, powerful. Uh, just I don't know. They just really moved me. Mm-hmm. So um, and it's his his words and his way of framing everything and talking about concepts like Ashe and um, I don't know what uh, Mojo. He um, spoke about Moyo, mm-hmm. uh, which is the um, the soul of a um, particular type of sculpture that is stuffed with intent with all different kinds of um um, blowing, even just blowing air of a sorcerer into it wow. um, gives it more power. But it really stuck so, with you. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. And it, it flavored or propelled um, my writings. Uh, but also there is an author prior to Robert Ferris Thompson, Carlos Castaneda, um, who he was actually born in 1925. So, you know, some of you listeners might not be familiar with him at all. His first book came out around 1968 or so. I was introduced to him by my college professor, Stanley Whitney, who's an abstract artist. And um, he's just way out there. So he's like, oh, you want to go out? Then you need to read (laughs) Carlos Castaneda. You're not familiar? Okay. So he makes you think. Oh, yes. He, um, talks about um, rings of power and portals and how you move to different kinds of spaces and shape-shifting, which was a new notion for me. So you not only like to be transformed, but you like to be transported. Oh, yes. (laughs) Sounds like it. Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, you know, here's the thing. Sometimes it's also the the timing and emotional connection, I think, that you have with the book. That's what Stephanie's making me think of. Um, I want to play what we heard from Brett in Albany Park. He found On the Road by Jack Kerouac in in a college bookstore. It changed me in ways that I can't even describe all the way, and it opened me up to another world of literature. It may not be the greatest book, but it had the greatest impact on me. Brett goes on to say that he found that book in his freshman year of college, which, you know, those are our early years of adulthood, right? Yes. That can be such a pivotal time. Can you remember if there were books that helped you grow up in Zynga? Growing up, oh my gosh, don't make a bookseller, have to choose just one. <laughs> I mean, so I'm making the bookseller, the author, and the oh, book club uh, leader choose one. Yeah. <laughs> well, Prior to bookstore land, uh, Judy Bloom, you know, mm. was very like, hush, hush, you can't even admit that you were holding one of those books. And today, of course, there she's on the book ban list. But um, yeah, that was one that definitely, um, are you there, God? Is that is that hers, I think? Mm. Um, just, you know, I like that books allow you to experience things that you may never <laughs> so that you can learn from them, yeah. right? And maybe step around them. So and that's Al- what I got from Alex, that. help me rewind even further then, yeah. right? Because some books, they're very simple, but they're really special. Children's books. Yes. You, uh, some of the most impactful books for you, I hear, have been the ones that you've actually read to your kids. Well, I think what you mentioned earlier about timing, I can pick a book for a different point in time in my life. And um, I was joking, as I mentioned today, that it's like choosing a favorite book is like choosing between uh, kids. But I have great 
books that stick with me that are children's books. And two of them that I can think of is like Big Wolf, Little Wolf, which I read routinely to my oldest daughter, who's now 10, when um, our youngest daughter was on the way. And it's a beautiful book about um, these two wolves out in the woods. And Big Wolf has been there for a while. And all of a sudden, Little Wolf comes on the scene. And there's a little frustration initially with Little Wolf uh, relying on Big Wolf for support. Um, But then there comes this pivot point in the book where Little Wolf disappears. Mm. And Big Wolf is searching for Little Wolf and misses that companionship and that companionship and that comfort. Um, and eventually, Little Wolf, well, Little Wolf comes back. They're together, and um, they're happier together. And uh, it's been a great uh, book to shadow or reflect what I'd love for my uh, daughter's relationship to be. And that's what it's been, which which is awesome. And then I reference another book that I read recently. Um, and I actually, I got it from my kid, my daughter. Um, got this book from school. She brings it home. We read it together. It's called The Day the Crayons Quit. Um, And it's this cute book about um, 12 crayons giving feedback to their owner about how they're being used. And it'll say, hey, for instance, like, hey, I'm Red Crayon, and I'm tired of you painting, um, you know, Santa Clauses with me and fire hydrants, and I want to do something else. And so it's a beautiful, like, a colorful uh, pun intended, fun book. Um, but I was able to, like, when I say I live with these books, like I was able to turn that book into a discussion about employee relations and management of, of issues wow. in the workplace and conduct the training using that. So when I'm serious, like, so you when end I say up talking to adults about a children's about book. About crayons, and I, it works. I live with my books, and they live with me. Once you read a good one, it sticks oh, yeah. with you. I absolutely love that. Let's jump to the phone lines. Charlie's been waiting in Frankfurt. Hey, Charlie, welcome to Reset. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing well. I hear you've got a a book that changed you when you were a teen. Yes. uh, Yes, I did. Uh, It was called Man Child in the Promised Land by Claude Brown. And the book debuted the year I was born. So I think that made (laughs) it even more pivotal. But it was it was autobiographical for one thing. So I think that's very pertinent there. But it was a realistic depiction of desperate poverty. In his tale, uh, Brown talks about heroin addicts, pimps, small-time criminals, and slums. And readers were shocked that this was autobiographical because it was a true depiction to those who were unfamiliar with ghetto life. While my life growing up in Robert Taylor was not poverty-stricken, a lot of similarities existed, especially in my early teen years when I kind of strayed off the path of doing what my parents said to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book scared me. It, it, it put a level of fear in me. At this point in my life, I'm wanting more. I'm desiring more, but looking for a shortcut. And there is no shortcut to success. Mm. This book scared me mm. to get in college, to obtain an MBA, and to be the professional that I am today. And I see a lot of our youth struggling with this today that have no idea that they're struggling with it. For them, it's just a way of life. There's no gumption for betterment. If this book can be gotten hold of and read, I mean, literally read, not just thumb through the pages, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people can see themselves in this particular uh, depiction that Claude Brown wrote. But for me, mm. that's what changed my life. Yeah, Charlie, thank you for that. Mm. That's a, you're getting a lot of nods across mm. the table here in the studio. <laughs> Stephanie, what's a book that you would recommend to a young reader or a parent trying to get their kid to connect with books? A very um, sort of uh, simple um, and yet multi-layered and deeply philosophical um, title would be Aesop's Fables. I remember um, reading that to my um, 
youngest child and us having many conversations about the lessons of um, each of the fables. And some of them are just like a paragraph long or a page Mm -hmm. or something like that. So um, I recommend um, delving back into that um, quite um, ancient literature. Yeah. What Mm -hmm. about you, Nzinga? Oh my gosh, What where my mind was is just making sure that, because there's a book for everybody, but every book is not for everybody. So what, at, what created my interest was that the books were culturally reflective yes. of my experience. So no matter the genre, no matter the subject area, if you feel like you are looking in the mirror, you can connect, you can identify, and therefore, once you, I'll say, settle into that relaxed state of being, you can grow. Yeah. And that's what, you know, the treasure chest of books bring, I think, to our lives. I think if I if I had to think back, like I told you before, I struggled <laughs> to sort of narrow down. I was, I was in your camp, Alex. I was like, <laughs> yeah. which it's one? Hard. There's yeah. so many. And then, you know, with this with this line of work, I read for work. And then I also read, you know, in addition to that, right outside of that. Um, But I had to go back and this is probably middle school days when I probably had no business reading Ian LaVenzant, but my aunts, my mom, I kept seeing this copy of the same book in like every family member's home. And then my mom had the same book, The Value in the Valley. Oh, The Value. I think that might might have been her first book, The Value in the Valley. Um, Yeah, Acts of Faith was not, Tapping the Power Within was her first. Acts of Faith came later, I think, after The Value in the Valley. But Tapping the Power Within was the first one, yeah. And I was like, why why is this book around? Let me me read it. But I was also that kid that was very much an old soul and always involved in like grown folks (laughs) problems. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately it taught me about like, you know, there's so much value in the valley right that you know the um the everyday challenges and the everyday obstacles that we face and dilemmas sometimes they're not as bad as they they seem a lot of times there's a purpose behind them and i learned that very early on and i've been able to apply that in adulthood so i I would i would champion that book as the one that sort of gave me that Mm -hmm. that lesson i was 12 (laughs) i was like 12 not again not even supposed to be you know reading that is there a book for you as a kid that you think did that, Alex? Maybe it stuck with you then. I, I can't point to one book. Um, the activity of reading has just been something that's intriguing because I thought of my dad as being a very intellectual person. So I just wanted to be uh, committed to ah. to reading and yes. just being a smart person in and outside of the classroom. And I think reading helps that. But I do have a great recommendation for the time, um, which is something you mentioned earlier, which is uh, um the Defender by Ethan Mitchell, how uh, how the newspaper, a newspaper, changed America, uh, and it's a book about Robert Abbott and his um, work with the Chicago Defender and the outsized role it had in shaping uh, America, including the life of Black folks. And the reason why I mention it now is particularly because he was this uh, quintessential in supporting the Great Migration and used this newspaper to advocate for this great move of people from the yeah. South to come back combat uh, lynching and the sort and come up to the north for uh, better working conditions. And I think given what we're dealing with with the city and our migrant issues, it gives us a great framework to um, handle the moment um, and yes. hopefully hopefully cause us to be a little more introspective about how we're responding to that situation currently. Yeah, and as the, the time's winding down, I'm glad you brought us back to the current moment, Alex, because there's something else we have to mention, right? We're having this conversation 
at a time when books, including books that discuss racism and race, they're being banned in different places in the country. Um, Illinois earlier this year, we remember it became the first state in the nation to effectively ban book bans. Right. Quick thoughts, Nzinga and and Stephanie, on on just how books have come under attack in this country in the last couple of years. Um, It surprised. It shouldn't surprise or shock me, given the political climate, but Uh it still does. I'm like, no, books. They are precious. It must hurt as an author. Oh, yes, it really does hurt. Um, And it just, it makes me feel as though certain people are now championing Champion, trying to champion ignorance mm-hmm. um, because without these books that are so full and rich and powerful um, we just keep retreating back into the dark ages yeah so let me give you the last word in zinga yeah oh my gosh book bans lead to silencing um which lead to control yes. and that is a very scary place to be um all voices should be heard and I'm just, I'm thankful that Illinois is the first and hopefully it will catch a fire yeah. across the nation. Yeah. I, I, okay, I can't leave you out, Alex. I, I saw you chuckle there. <laughs> <laughs> you have a thought. Um, uh, it, the opposition is uh, is disingenuous. I mean, it's coming from a bunch of people who you closely associate with uh, open market and competitive markets, but uh, there's no open market on ideas when it comes to books. They want to restrict what's available, and that just seems counterintuitive from the sources. So check the sources pushing for that stuff, mm-hmm. and we need a uh, more inclusive and expansive uh, review um, and, and, and landscape that allows us to read whatever's out there. Yes. Yeah, well, we're just about out of time. Unfortunately, I can't go to the next caller, which was Suzanne in Libertyville. I'm so sorry. Uh, I know that you are recommending Women of Courage by Dorothy Nathan. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that so folks can hear it and, and yes. check it out and read further on that book. We'll leave this conversation here for now. We've been talking with Alex Breland, the founder of the book club Visible Man Review, and Zinga Nomo, who's owner of Afterware Books, and Chicago author Stephanie Rose Bird. Thank you all so much for stopping by, talking about the power of books transforming our lives. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So Thanks to the ancestors. Indeed. Indeed. That's true. <laughs>